scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians. At 8.30, I announced that it was from Ephesians chapter 15. That would have been a miracle given that there are only six chapters in Ephesians. It's from chapter, it's from chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Today's the fourth Sunday of Easter tide. The reason that the early church made Easter into a season instead of just a day is because they knew that it would be very easy to forget the power of Easter as time went along. The longer that they went from Easter, the easier it was going to, from the resurrection, the easier it was going to be to forget about that power that they had. They knew that time was an enemy to those kinds of things, and so they made Easter a season instead of just a day. Of course, most evangelical churches just just ignore that. They ignore the church calendar because they think it's just something that Catholics do, but there's a good reason for us to look at it. There's a good reason for us to remember the power of the resurrection is the power of the church, and we need to remember that it goes on and on and on. However, at the same time 2,000 years ago, the people of Jesus were not trying to just think about how long this was going to last. They were still trying to understand the resurrection itself. They were thrilled that the resurrection had come, but they still didn't quite get what was happening through that resurrection, which is one of the reasons that Jesus kept appearing to them for 40 days after the resurrection itself. Jesus wanted his people to understand that the power that brought him back from the grave was the same power that was available to him. It was just as available to, to them as it was to him. The power of the resurrection is what was going to give life to Jesus' church, just like it was giving life to the tomb itself. That's what Paul was trying to get across to the church at Ephesus. Paul started writing his letters to the churches that had been established somewhere around 60 years after the resurrection. And one of the things that he drove home in his letters was that the power of the resurrection was the power of the church. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from 
the dead. Paul wanted the church to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit was the power of the resurrection. And they could do whatever they were called to do, whatever God dreamt for them to do. They could accomplish whatever it was that God wanted them to accomplish if they would claim that power that came to that tomb that morning. That's what I want us to understand today. Last week we had Servant Sunday. We looked at several of the outreach missions of our church. And the ones that we looked at was only a snippet of the ministries and work that we do here in our church. I don't think you would be able to find another church our size that takes on as many mission activities as we do. But what we need to remember is we're not doing those activities just because we're the nicest people on the planet. And we're not doing them because they're good things to do. We're doing them because of the resurrection. The Christian faith is about living the good news. And the good news is the resurrection changes everything. The power that created the resurrection is our power and it's our calling as a church and as people. It's just as available to us as it was to Jesus, and it's just as available a month after Easter as it was on Easter Sunday. Or to say it a different way, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that can affect every single thing that we do. Let me give you an example. Before I start, I know I've told this story somewhere along the way, but it was at least five years ago, so if you've heard it before, it's one of my favorites, so I'm just going to make myself happy. Anyway, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Bill Walsh, but Bill Walsh was the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers for many years. Bill was one of the most interesting guys that I ever saw. He knew football like the back of his hand, but he was also a certified genius. He had a tested IQ of 140. He was also a speed reader. He could read a 10-page article in 18 seconds. You have no idea how much I wish I could do that. But Bill Walsh and I do have one thing in common. We've both set a record in our lives. Bill can read a 10-page article in 18 seconds. I, on the other hand, still hold the record until this day for being the slowest reader to ever earn a doctorate at Southeastern Seminary. I was also the slowest reader to ever uh, to finish the clinical pastoral counseling program at, at Wake Forest University. You should be applauding right now. That was it. <laughs> anyway, over 40 years ago, Bill Walsh read a book about animals in Africa. And one of the things that he read was about how a zebra acts when they're attacked by a lion. This article said if a zebra decides that it's going to die, it will almost always give up the fight. It'll drop its head, its eyes will glaze over, and it'll just stand and wait for what's coming. If I had read that article, I would have said that was a sad thing, and I would also wonder why the zebra gave up in life. And then I'd go get a cup of coffee, and I'd go about my business. When Bill Walsh read it, he went back to his office, he pulled up films of their losing games, and he watched how his team acted when they decided that they were going to lose. What he discovered was they acted just like a dying zebra. Bill called it the posture of defeat. They slumped their shoulders, their eyes glazed over, and they just started staring at the ground. So, 
Bill brought the whole team in. He told them the story of how a zebra acts when it thinks it's going to die. And then it had them watch those films. Then he said, we're never going to look like that or act like that again. From now on, even if the game is not going our way, we're going to display the posture of victory. We're going to stand up straight. We're going to look defiant. And we're going to show the people in the stands that we may be having a bad day, but we're not losers. From then on, the team took responsibility for holding each other accountable for maintaining that posture of victory. And what was interesting was the more positive the players became, the more games they won in the months that were ahead. Bill Walsh adopted an attitude of success, and when he did, it gave positive power to the rest of his team and it gave positive power to the future that was out in front of them. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was trying to make the church of Ephesus understand. The power of the resurrection is positive power and it was just as available to the church 60 years after the resurrection as it was on resurrection morning. Back in 2014, Susan and I had the opportunity to actually go to Ephesus and tour that ancient city. It was one of the most spiritually uplifting experiences that either of us had ever had. Until this day, we still talk about that periodically. The first thing we both noticed when we got to Ephesus was how wealthy that ancient city was. Everything about what they have excavated there just screamed prosperity to anyone who saw it. The second thing we noticed was how hard it was to be a Christian in that very pagan city. Most of the Christian symbols that you saw in that city were secret symbols. The, the Roman government and the local governments both did not know what those symbols meant, but the Christians didn't know what they meant. So they would carve them on the walkways in front of their businesses, or they would carve them on the sides of their houses because they wanted it to be a sign to other Christians that if they got to that place, they were on safe ground there. It was safe for them to be with them. The third thing that we noticed when we went to Ephesus was how many of those secret symbols there were. They've only excavated about 10% of that ancient city, but there are Christian symbols all over Ephesus. If the Romans or the locals had, had discovered that those people were Christians, they would have been persecuted without any doubt. But everywhere we went, every street that we walked down, we saw signs of the faith. And the reason those signs were there was because of the positive power of the resurrection. It had infused those Christians with the strength to live out their calling and live out their faith, even when living that faith was a threat. Paul said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, but it didn't just raise Christ from the dead. It also raised people from their fears. It raised courage in the souls of the people that were around them. It gave them the ability to step out and become what God would want them to become, even when it was dangerous for them to do it. 
Those people in Ephesus lived the power of the resurrection. They knew they were walking in the valley of the shadow of death, but they also knew that they were walking with the risen Savior, and his resurrected presence gave them the positive power to be successful witnesses for Jesus, even when some of their days probably felt a lot like a tomb. The story of the church of Ephesus is a wonderful story, but the question is, what does that have to do with us today, 2023, in Blacksburg, Virginia? Well, if you want to find the answer to that question, I suggest you ask one more question. What is there in our lives that feels like a tomb? Or what's keeping us from experiencing the power of the resurrection in our daily lives? Many years ago, I preached an Easter sermon that was called, What is Your Stone? I thought it was a good sermon for the day. What shocked me was it was the second most popular sermon that I ever did on Easter Sunday. The most popular were the two times that I preached on Judas. I did that in 1999. I did it again this past year. By far, though, that sermon stirs more people to talk about what was happening at Easter than anything I've ever preached. But the second most popular was, what is your stone? I pointed out that the biggest problem those women had when they went to the tomb that morning was who was going to move the stone out of the way so they could get to Jesus. But when they got there, the stone had already been moved. And the point that I made in that sermon was that stone wasn't moved so Jesus could get out of that tomb. The stone was moved so the disciples could get into the place where the miracle was happening. It wasn't about Jesus getting out. It was about the Jesus people getting in. That one sentence created more conversation than anything that I said that Easter. For some reason, it had never occurred to a lot of people that the stone didn't move for Jesus. It didn't move so he could get out of the tomb. The stone moved so the disciples could get to the miracle. If God can bring a dead man back to life, he can get him out of a tomb without having to move the stone. Look at John chapter 20. Jesus is appearing to the disciples on the night of the resurrection. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, and he said, Peace be with you. The door was locked. Jesus didn't knock on it. Nobody opened the door to let him in. All of a sudden, Jesus was inside the room with the disciples. They didn't have to open the door for Jesus to get in there. The power of the resurrection could let Jesus go wherever he wanted to go and do whatever he wanted to do. The stone didn't have to be moved for Jesus to get out of the tomb, but it was moved because the Jesus people couldn't experience the miracle unless the stone had been rolled away. The stone was moved for us. The positive power of the resurrection can still move the stones of life. So the question is, what is our stone? What's our tomb? What's keeping us from experiencing God's resurrection power? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it addiction to whatever, drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, you name it. It may even be a workaholic. Is it insecurity? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it loneliness? Is it, is it just being concerned of what the future is going to hold for our own children? What is it? What's the stone in our life that needs to be moved? 
On the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together for the last Passover meal that he was going to celebrate with them. And the stones that those disciples were facing that night were the stones of hatred and ambition. Those people believed in Jesus and they wanted Jesus to become the king of Israel. But one of the reasons they wanted him to become king was because they hated the Romans. They wanted Jesus to stir up a rebellion because they wanted to kill those Romans and they wanted to become the cabinet ministers for the new king. They wanted the power that came with that. They wanted the prestige that came with that. And they particularly wanted the safety that came with being at the top of the heap. They wanted the safety that came with being leaders of the new kingdom. But what they didn't understand was that wasn't the kind of kingdom that Jesus was founding. It was a kingdom. But it was a kingdom where love was going to be the only weapon that they would use to conquer human hearts and... It was a kingdom where the cabinet ministers would be the people who served God by serving other people. The cabinet ministers would be the foot washers of the kingdom. That wasn't the kind of kingdom the disciples were expecting. It wasn't the kind of kingdom that they wanted, which is why Jesus gave those people this meal that we are celebrating today. Jesus wanted to remind the disciples that it took humility and it took torture and death for them to understand how far God would go to show his unlimited love and unlimited grace to his people. It took the resurrection to convince those people that by God's power, nothing could ultimately defeat them, not even death. Jesus was about to move their stone, but it was going to take the ultimate sacrifice for them to understand the kind of kingdom that he wanted them to go out and build. And it was going to take the resurrection for them to understand that God's power could overcome any barrier to their success and it could overcome any barrier to their salvation. It didn't matter what their past had been like. It didn't matter what mistakes they made. It didn't matter what mistakes they were about to make just as soon as they left that meal. It didn't matter that they were about to run away and leave Jesus alone. It didn't matter that they were going to hide while he was dying. It didn't matter because God's love could overcome whatever was keeping them from experiencing the miracle. God's love can come to us and it can move whatever stone is in our way from experiencing the best that God has to offer. I have no idea what your stone is that's keeping you from fully experiencing God's miracle. But this meal is a reminder that God's love and God's grace has no limits. And his power can not only move the stone that would keep us from experiencing his miracle, but it can empower us to become an avenue for God's grace and God's change in the world. It can empower us to be part of a changing miracle for the world. Today we're going to eat this meal together. And my prayer is that the power of the resurrection will bring us confident hope today. A hope that comes no matter the circumstances. And a hope that can overcome the worst of life. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for this point in time. I thank you for this moment as we gather together. I thank you for this meal that reminds us every time we take it that you believed in us even when we were hesitant to believe in you. That when we don't understand what's going on, we can be grateful that you do understand. Help us, O oh Lord, to look to you with confidence, to look to you with faith, to believe in what you can bring to us, to believe that you can move whatever stone it is that's standing between us and the miracle of grace. Let your spirit be upon us as we eat this meal together and bless it as we take it together. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. And now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone.